Guasso, bro. Ay. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. And hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Third Sub Podcast, episode 170. I'm your host, Alexander Gongi Music, joined as always by Sammy Rowan. And got a busy week this week. Vancouver Whitecaps won a road game. Believe it or not, it's not fake. It is not a myth. They did win a road game for the first time in a long time, and they didn't beat anyone to, to win that road game. Meanwhile, they look forward to another key, key road game as the road-heavy schedule continues in the back half of their MLS season. Meanwhile, over in the CPL, uh, the BC teams are staying busy, that's for sure. Wins happening, kids are being played. Uh, even got a trade in the CPL. There might not be much movement on the MLS transfers front, but there is some movement in the CPL. So we're here to break it all down. But before we do, Sam, how are we doing this week? Yeah, doing, doing very well. Absolutely massive win for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, breaking their road winless streak in style with a huge one over LAFC. Yeah, Burger Gate, the, the Mark Dos Santos, Maxime Pepeau revenge tour. Uh, and, and just a massive confidence boost for this Whitecaps team that's been trending in the right direction. Uh, looking back now, it seems like that rapids postponement came at a great time to give them the preparation and the the energy they needed going into the weekend it would have been so much more difficult on the back of having played midweek so uh, we're going to dive into that performance there were a lot of great notes from from individual players stepping up to i think a really nice coaching approach so we'll chat about that We'll talk a little bit of Ali Ahmed for Canada. We don't we don't need to speak about the Canadian performance overall, but we can talk about Ali Ahmed. And then we're going to look forward to SKC a little bit. This is another hostile environment, and yet I think another road opportunity for Vancouver to go in and secure some points. We were talking right before the show, but we talked about this on the last podcast too. We'd set that target of can they get four road wins? In the second half of the season, they found one road win, three more to go. Can they do something against SKC? We're going to detail that matchup a little bit. And then as you mentioned, Alex, CPL, Canadian Premier League, the BC teams making some moves, Pacific remaining strong, Vancouver FC moving some puzzle pieces around. Uh, So we'll chat a little bit of that on the back end. And it's it's a round number. It's episode 170. So uh, yeah, we're creeping up towards the 200 mark. And uh, man, it's it's crazy to think how many of these shows we've done, and uh, hopefully many more to come in the future. So uh, looking forward to diving into all. Now we're sneaking up right for the big 200. Can we uh, can we hit it by by the playoffs, for example? Uh, if we speed up the episodes a bit. Could we do it, dare I say, after a playoff win for the first time in our history? But no, let's not look far too far ahead. And let's just dive into it, though, with the, the Vancouver Whitecaps. I mean, talk about looking too far ahead. It's hard not to after a performance like that. Of course, you don't want to put too much stock into one game. 
especially look at LAFC is struggling right now. They're getting the Champions League hangover, some injuries to central defenders. They're playing Ilya Sanchez at center back against the Whitecaps. And, you know, Giorgio Chiellini's, he's in the, the closer role these days where you give him 15, 20 off the bench. And, you know, that's what he all he got against uh, the against uh, the Whitecaps, that is. But still, a win's a win. LAFC is still very good at home. They're still LAFC. The Whitecaps have never won there. I think they're saying on the broadcast, like just 14 games have been lost by LA there and like 70 in their history at the Bank of California. Like they don't lose very often uh, at the Bank. Um, or sorry, not the Bank of California, the BMO Stadium, as we're going to have to get used to, to calling it. But it was just what was huge about this. And I mean, we can kind of dive into it to start, Sam. I mean, it's not the the fact they got to win. We said, like, they need to win ugly. They need to win, period. That was a very good road performance. And that might be one of the best performances they've had this year, period. And certainly one of the best on the road I can think of in three, four, five years. And, I mean, for that to start, that bodes well because we talked about it in our kind of half halfway through the year report card kind of analysis. We're like, look, it's one thing to go one on the road, but we need to see some sort of approach, some sort of consistency. And hey, if, if it means the Whitecaps going full out and guns to blazing and playing like this, well, I don't think anyone's going to complain about that. Absolutely. I mean, it's it was fantastic to see that the Whitecaps were able to marry They'd had some good game plans and approaches on the road this season, but they'd not been able to convert those into full three-point results. Or often, like, the game plan was a good one, but they had 15, 20 minutes that really let them down, and ultimately they dropped points. And this married up a, a fantastic game plan with a huge result for the first time in 2023. So that was great to see. I mean, you talked about Ily Sanchez for... LAFC, the thing to me that was so emblematic of the way the match went is you had Billy Sanchez starting at center back. You had Luis Martins in a back three. In any other iteration of the Vancouver Whitecaps, that ends up biting Vancouver in the behind instead of LAFC. But the fact that they were able to shield Martins, Martins, I thought, to his credit, put in a real shift defensively. Like it was it was bend but don't break stuff at times. It wasn't always the most confident defending, but it got the job done. And then Sanchez at the other end was really a, a centerpiece on all three of Vancouver's goals. Like they were able to expose that weakness. So I think that just shows the maturity, the depth, the growth of this Vancouver side. And to do it on the road too is like that that ratchets up the level of difficulty, right? Like it's one thing to come out with a bold, ambitious, guns blazing approach at home, but to do it on the road, to to take that tack, then to execute it effectively, it is massive. And so I think it has to, it has to build their confidence where at least from a mentality standpoint, this Vancouver team now can go into any environment, go, we can, we can play whatever game plan we want, whatever environment we want. And we believe we can get three points because look at what we did at LAFC. So, um, you know, that that has to be a massive push in the right direction for them, which I think is uh, can only bode well the rest of the season. And I guess, is it mean, but does it feel like we're finally starting to see a bit more recognition of what certain players are good at, if that makes sense? Because I think we're, we're, for example, I like the Martins example because what we said all year long about him is just he struggles to go up and down the pitch at that left 
you know, left back role, which is essentially a left wing back role with how aggressive Vanny wants his fullbacks to be. And he's just struggled, especially defensively with the responsibilities. It kind of makes sense that, you know, in a game like this, where you just ask him, look, defend, stay back, do your thing. Okay. Maybe helps him a little more. And you kind of let Ryan Raposo play that freer up and down role, a role that he has more of the legs to fulfill. And then after Raposo put in a shift, you, you end up, um, you know, subbing in Sebastian Burhalter to fill that role, which was, hey, it worked just because Burhalter has the legs to fill a role. And maybe that's something where we talk about potential options at fullback. Maybe a guy like Burhalter, just with his fitness, could be an emergency option to to turn to in certain games. And I think we're starting to see awareness of where guys can, can fit into these roles with Martins being an example. Uh, you know, you also see that back three of Ranko and Laborda, they, you know, Ranko and Laborda building some good chemistry and it almost makes you forget for, it's been a couple of games now with no Tristan Blackman, you know, that's going to be huge when he returns and maybe you slot him into this sort of back three role and uh, you find even more stability. And I think there's just countless examples of that across the board. I think, for example, this was a perfect game to start Sergio Cordova. They got a little more stretch, needed a little more running and Cordova thrived in that. And yeah, he didn't finish his chances and, Boy, you hope one of them falls for him soon enough. But that was probably his best game in, in a white cap shirt, just with the, the running he did on the ball. He helped create the the winning goal. Uh, or, yeah, it was it did end up being the winning goal, of course, because LAFC scored to make it interesting. And there, it, it was good to see from him. And there's a few other players who we haven't seen much of uh, that are stepping up and, and, and finding comfort. And I think it shows that finally halfway through the season, Vanny kind of knows what he has with this group and knows where guys fit. And it's leading to more good results like we've seen over as of late yeah i'll pick up on that theme a little bit and i i said this in what i wrote post-match but i thought another example of understanding the tendencies the strengths of players was what was asked of alessandro shot because pedro vite and ryan gauld got forward in those attacking midfield roles so much that it felt like shop was able to just focus a little more on the middle of the park And I found that for a guy that I've criticized for maybe not having the legs or looking a little bit off the pace at times, he was absolutely crucial to like every time Vancouver lost the ball and they went to immediately counter press and get it back, Shop was leading that charge because I don't think he was expected to get his forward on the ball and, you know, have to make 30 yard runs. He was just, his role was simplified a little bit. And so I think that's another example of their Vanny's learning the tendencies of these players, how they all fit and work together and just making those little, little tweaks that are really getting the most out of guys. And uh, I mean, even Ryan Gold to a certain extent, you know, Gold's Gold's going to be good in any role, but coming in out of a wide position, it's, it seemed to at least against LAFC to really open things up for him. He was a menace in transition he was still very involved uh, defensively being a nuisance and, uh, and obviously his contributions were massive. So uh, yeah, they seem to be, seem to be really, you know, maximizing at the moment what they're getting out of these players. And that was our, our critique and our frustration at the beginning of the year, right? Is some of these out of the box or potentially questionable tactical maneuvers were kind of diminishing the strengths of their most impactful players. And now it feels like it's flipped on its head a little bit where they're actually, they're making some additive moves in terms of tactics. Cause it, it did, it felt like, you know, certainly in the first half, the, the tactical advantage was massive for Vancouver. And then they just had to, you know, 
LAFC is a very good team. So you were inevitably going to have to weather that storm a little bit uh, in the second half. And, and, you know, in some, some moments of errors and a bit of calamity at the back probably didn't help them. But I think overall uh, the approach was a good one and the, the value they were able to get out of a starting lineup that was missing some key contributors was, was still really good. Yeah, and I think that's key is what they're finding, kind of what works in midfield too, because I think that kind of ties everything together, uh, especially defensively. I think you figure out with Shop, for example, if you ask him to do too much going forward, it comes at the cost of what he does defensively. And you know what? It's not a bad thing to have him tuck in a little more, play a little deeper, get on the ball in deeper areas because it helped progress and get, you know, he played some nice passes forward for the Vancouver Whitecaps uh, forwards and, and, you know, wing backs to kind of run on to. So I think that's key, that midfield balance. We've seen more of it as of late. We're seeing more examples where it's Schopf and Kubas, or we saw Berhalter and Kubas as well as more of a double pivot, say. And I think that's smart because when you're playing with Gressel as the third player in that midfield, as we know, he'll give you a lot going forward, sometimes going back. It can be a bit of an adventure, right? Or Pedro Vite plays that role in this game. He he does give you a little more going back than Julian Gressel, but it's still something where you want him to focus on going forward. And just having kind of a, a second midfielder there as an insurance blanket is huge. And I think that's why we'll we'll talk about it as well. That's why Ali Ahmed's going to be very key when he returns because he's probably right now, if you're looking at all these midfielders, he's probably the best one on on both sides of the ball, which is, again, wild to to say about someone who we hadn't seen play midfield before this season. But as as we'll talk about later, it turns out maybe that might be his best position and preferred uh, position. But I think that just having that bit of defensive responsibility in midfield has added a whole other element because we've seen the offense click all season long, finishing aside, right? Like that's not been a doubt. The numbers have said that. The eye test has said that, but what they've let themselves down is some of the goals they've allowed, especially in key moments. And I think this LAFC game was an example of, okay, yeah, they still allowed two goals to to, to LA in the end, but they didn't allow any backbreaking goals. Yeah, that Buonga goal came at a terrible time, but at that point, they did well to have such a good half. They didn't give up anything cheap in the 30th minute, right? Or the, the 35th, they got their 2-0 lead. And then they allow one at the end and then did you know, they they got the two goal lead again and then they allowed the goal from Vela, but they didn't allow any cheap goals uh, the rest of the way. And I think if they can keep that balance up, it's huge, especially because this team can score goals. These sorts of three goal LAFC outbursts doesn't feel abnormal anymore. And it shouldn't like this is a team that when they click on their day, there's a two, three, four goal team. And this is a game where, again, no Gressel, no Ahmed. You're missing two key offensive creators, but it shows when you have Gold, you have Vite, White, etc. This this team can score. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of the defensive performance, the one thing I'll pick up on is, yeah, there were those, you know, you don't like to concede before the half. And then you look at Ranko's error that leads to the Vela goal and you kind of go, oh, well, you'd like to avoid that, obviously. That being said, I thought the way that Vancouver was able to see out the match and sort of snuff out LAFC's surge in the final 15, 20 minutes was really impressive. Like it felt like LAFC really pushed and really pushed early in the second half, but by 75th, 80th minute, it was kind of like they'd, they'd given what they could and Vancouver took control again, really did a nice job managing the rest of the match. And that's just like not a trait of Whitecaps teams in the past. You know, certainly under Mark DeSantis, it was always like, 
get a one goal lead and then hold on for dear life and hope you don't get scored on a couple times right at the death. Uh, but that just, I think goes to show a level of like maturity and confidence in this team where they're, you know, they're not afraid to have a, a one goal lead in the 75th minute down in LA and, and they handled that moment really well, which I thought was fantastic. You chatted a little bit about this earlier, but I just wanted to, you know, give a shout out and it's a, it's a mixed shout out, but good on Sergio Cordova for having his best performance in a white cap shirt. Yes. He didn't find a goal himself. The finishing still is lacking, but you know, the, the effort looked better. The, the runs were dangerous. They, they helped create chances. And it was really nice to see a lot of communication between Brian White, Ryan Gold, and Sergio Cordova. Like even when a pass was misplaced or, a run wasn't into the right channel. It felt like they were they were ironing those things out in real time. And White and Gold were like really encouraging Cordova to keep up that effort, even if it didn't ultimately lead to the, the result he wanted. So, uh, you know, these are things contextually, you have to say these are things that you'd, you'd hope your designated player would have figured out at this point in the season. However, that's not the situation we find ourselves in. So at this point, if they're able to get competent striking minutes out of Cordova that will be a success and an improvement and based on the match down in LA it did look like Cordova was on the road to doing that which in isolation is very encouraging so I think that's that's all we can really focus on at the moment is just like what what improvements what added value can be created there in comparison to what they got out of it in the first half of the season yeah, look, the only way to go up, <laughs> you know, the only way to go, sorry, is up for Sergio Cordova and performances like this help. And what's great is that, again, he doesn't have to be the guy. <laughs> like, it's this is Golden Vite's team. This is Gressel's team. Heck, this is, you know, as we'll see when he returns from international duty, this is Ahmed's team. This and is Franco, I, I Blackman, Takoka. A big thing is that without these absences, without missing a Gressel and an Ahmed, I, I don't think a dual striker formation is really likely to happen all that often with like pure Brian White and Sergio Cordova up front. Like they've got enough players they want to get consistent starting minutes that I don't think that'll be the demand for those two to play alongside each other for the rest of the season, which I guess is is both good and bad for Cordova, depending on your perspective. Yeah, but look, even if he hits in a 30-minute roll off the bench... Yeah, it's a DP. You don't want to be in that role. But again, the Whitecaps are in a fortunate enough position where they're not sitting there hinging on their third DP but to, to be the difference between them winning or, or losing. So anything that they can get out of him is is bonus. And look, if he somehow ends up winning the spot from Brian White or at least ends up being able to spell him more often and maybe you keep Brian White fresh for, for a potential playoff you know, push or you know, playoff game, I think that's huge. So I think Cordova can only provide benefit to, to the white gaps. And I mean, again, it's unfortunate. You'd want your third DP to be in a situation where he's one of the dominant forces, but I guess that's the nice thing about a Julian Gressel, you know, that's he's providing DP quality at a non DP price. Hey, that's, that's huge. That's your third DP right there. Uh, and then again, you had all these youngsters who are chipping in on, you know, non DP roles. Like again, Vite technically isn't a DP. It's important to remember, of course, he's one of the U22 players. Uh, you know, again, you add in Ahmed being on a homegrown deal, like those sorts of things add up and, and help. So, 
that's lucky for Cordova, right? And hopefully that that's kind of what he needs to keep finding his form because it really feels like he's almost found his form as of late where the pressure's dropped because people have kind of almost given up on him. Like, it feels like he was really struggling at the beginning where he's like, oh, I'm the new DP. I kind of need to be the guy. Whereas now everyone's like given up on him, but he's almost been better because of that. Cause he's like, okay, I can just do my thing, get better. And then who knows, maybe that'll be what he needs to click. So as we saw last year, he's a streaky score who can get hot, especially in the second half of the season as he finds fitness form, et cetera. So it could be something where we might be about to see a bit of a renaissance from Sergio Cordova as wild as it is to say. I was going to say, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Just picking up the, the temperature of people online in response to our articles, you know, in response to comments on Twitter, like there was a real time there when he came back from injury and wasn't performing where the pitchforks were out in a major way. Like there was anger and vitriol. And I can't believe this guy's a designated player. and He's useless. They should get rid of him. And now it's kind of like, hey, Cordova didn't look half bad. We'll take it. The, the, it really has the expectations dropped right down to nothing. And now I think people are, there is no pressure anymore. Any anything would be a pleasant surprise, and and maybe that's just the environment Cordova needs to to take a couple steps in the right direction. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that's on the upward trend. Alex, I mean, this was a this was a massively successful match. I mean, we probably are underselling just how good Ryan Gold was, but I think all you had to do really was watch to understand that. Like it, it sort of spoke for itself. Um, I'll just give Andres Kubas a shout out too, because I think a big part of the reason why um, Matias Laborda and Luis Martins were able to survive at the back against that massively dangerous front three was because Kubas was absorbing so much of that pressure and in his trademark silent way. Um, Any, any other things to pick up on from this LAFC match? I mean, I think we, you know, it's been covered pretty well in written stuff and we already highlighted i think a lot of the keys but anything else that that stood out to you yeah i like those two spots to end off with yeah i think what's going to be key as well for the white caps in the second half especially on the road is they're going to need the big players to win them games because i look at home you can get away with you know you're you know you're at home you're always going to be expected to dominate in mls it's a home heavy league you see the huge split between points per game by home teams versus away teams like you're not going to need 10 out of 10s from Gold at home because you have Gressel, Gold, Vite, etc. But look, if you're going to win on the road, you need your best players to be your best players. And I think it's also fitting that Kubas was just such a, a machine in the midfield, just hoovering up balls and, you know, just dominating and covering it you know, for his center backs on several occasions. I think it's, you know, the two goals can't really say happened because of him. One's a really unfortunate error on the second goal. First one is just when we're, you know, LAFC was LAFC for two minutes. You kind of forget like, oh, yeah, that's a team that just made the, the Champions League final. That's Dennis Buanga, who was also on a really weirdly cold streak and snapped it against the Whitecaps. So he obviously seems to like playing Vancouver. But yes, all that to say, Kubas was excellent, and that's kind of what he's been doing. But for Gold, I think what's been clear is I kind of wrote about it as well recently on the, the third sub is that like quietly he's up to a you know playing some great soccer but also like i think after this game like is it i think it might be fair to say this is his best stretch in a white cap shirt i think it has been over the last three weeks right like and it's not just saying that because the goal contributions but it's like the whole package like just the work he's doing off the ball he's just been so tireless and it's almost like a bonus that what over the last four games he has five goals and four assists or whatever it is uh he's just been 
phenomenal. And I think it's been huge because he's willing the Whitecaps to to results they might not have otherwise gotten, right? The draw against Cincinnati, uh, even in the Can-Champ final, he helped them get get the, the win over the line. Uh, Houston game, he was dominant at home. Uh, you know, even that draw, the other 1-1 draw, I want to say, was also SKC for whatever reason. I, I, kind of the games have all blended together to meet for, for me. That's why I'm questioning it. But he kind of willed them over the line in those games where he didn't maybe need, you know, well, not didn't need to, but he, he got them over the line. And I think this game's another example of that he just completely took over, was the best player on the field by a mile for both teams. And like, again, that's a field with Buanga, Vela, uh, you know, Cifuentes and some great players. Yet that's just the form Gold is in. And I think that needs to be recognized. And if he keeps this up, the Whitecaps will be able to go a lot further than people realize just because, again, if your best player is playing like your best player, especially in MLS, they will take you places. And I think that's huge with so many road games coming up because it just feels like with road games in MLS, those are won by your best players. Those are won by a moment of brilliance with how the nature of those sorts of games. And, and Gold showed that in this LAFC match. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great way to kind of round out the LAFC talk. It's just it, I mean, it, it's so tough with a guy like Ryan Gold because it, you want to say that these kind of performances are what you expect. And yet, like, that's such a high bar to set. So, you know, this is the inverse Cordova where he's MLS player of the match day. And you're kind of like, yeah, well, that's that's what he's capable of. Right. And that like, I don't think anyone was shocked yeah. or massively in, like his performance in L.A. was massively impressive. But I don't think anyone who's seen him play is blown away by what he was able to do because you, you know that that's the ability in the locker. And, you know, we, we had been calling early in the year, especially and Vanny Sartini even said it in press today that, Hey, you know, that goal's just kind of hitting the level. We know he's capable of. And as you pointed out that you might be able to get away without that at home, but you really need that on the road, especially if you're going to be like a top dominant team. So that's a good place to end off LAFC, but we want to pick up on what Vancouver Whitecaps players are doing for their country away from the pitch a little bit. So, uh, you know, I'll just open out by saying, um, you know, Julian Gressel obviously was away with the U S men's national team, but also family welcomed a second child. So congrats to Julian co for that. Um, that must have been, a, it's been a hectic couple of weeks for Gressel for sure. Um, and then I think the big one for, uh, for Canadian men's national team followers for, for us on the podcast, we were, we were talking about it on the mid season show Ali Ahmed in a midfield role for Canada. Yes. The match itself did not go the way Canada would have liked with a, a dicey two, two draw that left a lot more questions than answered. But Alex, the one thing that was not in question is Ali Ahmed's role with this Canadian men's national team because he looked fantastic and he looked right at home in the midfield. It's not it's not Vancouver Whitecaps specific. This is a guy who is more than comfortable in that box-to-box role. I know you were there. Uh, you, you had the chance to you know ask a few questions. So uh, yeah, just... Fill us in on on your thoughts on Ahmed's debut uh, at the Gold Cup. Yeah, it was a statement performance. I think that might have been, boy, that might have been one of the best debuts I've seen in the last three to four years for Canada. I'm trying to think of 
what would have been better like Tejon Buchanan against Aruba maybe but again that was Aruba this Guadal- this Guadeloupe team was good like they had uh you know Cherry Ambrose scored a goal he plays in the Belgium top flight as a Man City Academy product they have a Serie A player they got a couple of league guys who got relegated league like this is a good team uh, you know, I think it's one where this is kind of stiffest test of the group, which is good news, I guess, because it can only go up from here. And, you know, maybe uh, they, they can build us some confidence. But all this to say, like, for Ali Ahmed to go out there, and again, there, there was a midfield where you look around him. Yeah, Moise Bombito was playing in a new position for the first time. But, you know, Junior Hoylet was kind of playing in a 10 role. Um, Jonathan Azorio was alongside him. You look in the other midfield, they have the Serie A midfielder, Gravillon, who's in there and for him to be the best player on the pitch for both teams. That's, that's impressive. And um, it shows that he has a high future with this uh, Canadian men's national team. We talked about it the other week. He, they, they need midfielders. They, they just, you know, beyond Ismail Kone and Stephanie Stacchio, there's just, there's a lack of depth. And even if it's uh, either, again, it's either they find a six and they free up Ustakio and Kone, or you keep Ustakio as a six and you find another eight, and it looks like Ahmed could be one of the candidates to fill in as the latter. He was just, he was Ali Ahmed too. That was the best part about it. It wasn't anything magical. It wasn't anything out of the norm. It was just Ali Ahmed. It was confidence to get on the ball. It was the ability to turn in height spaces. It was just a lot of selfless off-ball runs. Like, it's the amount of times I saw him start in the middle, run all the way out wide, run all the way in the middle to move players around open up space then just the confidence to dribble to run at guys and i think the wildest part about this is this was his first appearance since the head injury too like this isn't like he didn't have a chance to build up any sort of confidence or form again with the white caps post injury no this was just him off the play and onto the pitch just being ali ahmed and uh lastly what i found fascinating is that obviously he was made available to the media as one is after their player of the match and I got to ask Ali a, a question. I was kind of curious about it because I hadn't really chatted to him much about this with the Whitecaps this year. I asked, like, what do you make of this midfield role? Because kind of for everyone watching him, it's new. We saw him come to the Whitecaps as a winger. Um, he obviously ends up playing as a fullback. You see him on the wingback role. This midfield role kind of fell out of nowhere. And I asked him about it. And he actually said, look, like, I'm a, a midfielder at heart. Like, I grew up always playing in midfield. It was kind of only when I was 19, 20. I go to Europe. I came to the Whitecaps where he played more of a wide player uh, and then got obviously converted to a fullback. So for him, this is his natural position. So he actually said, look, I'm a midfielder at heart. This is where I feel best. This is where I feel comfortable. I just love turning, running at guys, playing in space, reading that sort of spots. And I think that's fascinating because, look, we know all about Ali Ahmed's potential. We know that he, he's, he's versatile, that he sees the game very well, that he's got un- incredible stamina, for example, which is a huge asset. The fact that he says he's most comfortable and feels best in his midfield, I think that that's huge. And that's all of a sudden opens up a very interesting question of where he fits in with Canna long term. But even the Whitecaps for as long as he's here, it shows that maybe it's best if they continue to just let the reins off with him in midfield. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's uh yeah, you just always knew from from next pro days Ahmed as a as a wide player and predominantly even if that, yeah, he came to the Whitecaps as a winger, but kind of seemed quite cemented in like that fullback wingback spot. And so uh, to see him transition so seamlessly, now it makes a little bit more sense hearing his feelings about it, knowing knowing his thoughts on his spiritual home on the pitch. So I, I think that's, that's shone through so clearly, right? The way he was able to uh, 
um, to step in with the white caps and really just like hit the ground running. And then, you know, now he's able to go into a, a different squad, a, a team that doesn't train together all that much uh, guys. He's not, not played with a heck of a lot and, and just dive straight in. It's fantastic. And the, the Vancouver Whitecaps are going to need that the rest of the season. So uh, I'm sure Vanny Sartini will be showing him uh, the game film and saying, all right, just do more of that for us, Allie. We'll, we'll take that. Thank you very much. Rounding out the gold cup stuff. Shout out to Javane Brown, who put in 62 minutes against Trinidad and Tobago. Big win for Jamaica. Um, you know, who's who has a program that's been up and down the last couple of seasons, but, uh, you know, they were able to to get their Gold Cup campaign off to a pretty good start. And nice to see that Javane Brown continues to be a key part of that. Yeah, I think it was it was good for, for Javane because, yeah, this is a very top-heavy Jamaica team, but they're going to need their depth to shine through. And, um, you know, guys like Javane Brown are going to be key at the back because – yeah, you see Damari Gray up front gets assist in his debut, um, you know, scores a brace in the second game against uh, Trinidad and Tobago. You know, the, the, this Jamaica team's got talent now. Antonio, uh, you, you look across the, the the board at some of those attackers, they're going to need like, Leon Bailey as well. You, can, you can't skip him when you're talking about it, but it, really it's going to come down to the defense. So good to see from, from Javane. It'll be fascinating to see what happens with this Jamaica team. They drew the U.S. in their first game in a game they absolutely should have won. They went up 1-0. Leon Bailey missed a ter- like horrific penalty. Like The first save was he, it was saved at first by Matt Turner. Fantastic save. Missed the empty net on the rebound. It was a horrific miss. Please watch it if you want to, to laugh. But, and then the U.S. came back into the game. They got the draw. So for Jamaica now, it's just building off that. A 4-1 win over TNT is, is a good start. And then... You know, obviously they're going to have a St. Kitts and Evis game. They should win handily. They'll try to get the goal difference, finish first in the group. And from there, uh, if they do, it should it could be good for them. Because I think if they do that, they'd likely avoid Mexico. They're probably one of the best teams on paper in this competition. So very likely that Javane Brown and Jamaica could push all the way to the finals if they win the group. Uh, and that would be huge for Javane's confidence, obviously, because he always seems to do well in a Jamaica shirt. He looks, it builds him up. And if he can just play around some of those players more often. Who knows? Maybe I'll come back to the Whitecaps and then just have the belief to take a spot and just finish the second half of the season strong. Because, hey, as we mentioned, the Whitecaps can use any sort of stability at fullback. Well, and as mentioned too, you know, if there are European teams interested in Javane Brown looking at making offers, good performances for his country in the Gold Cup can uh, can only help that value as well. And I think that's the that's the only spot for me really on the the transfer market that I'll be I'll be curious about over the course of the summer here is do the Whitecaps make any tweaks defensively, whether that's Adrian Brown, a Ranko Veselinovich going out and who might come back in? Do they just hold fast with those players and try to add? Do they just make no moves at all? I think that's the only real area where I could see any kind of movement in a significant way happening. And so I think that is just something to watch out for. And international performances can sometimes have an impact there. We talked about the outset, we got a, another hostile environment, but a, a team that's struggling at the moment, struggled to start the season, but certainly not as, uh, 
not as daunting, not as hot of a club overall as as LAFC and um, in Sporting KC, where there are a lot of familiar faces. Peter Vermees obviously still uh, grouchy as ever at the helm. Uh, yeah, you're just your opening opening thoughts on what you've seen from SKC this season and maybe what we can expect this weekend. Yes, yeah, going to be a, a big chance for the Whitecaps to continue uh, their road <laughs> prowess. Can we say it? No, of course not. But can they get a bit of form on the road, right? First road win in over a calendar year. Can they make it back-to-back road wins? Boy, I haven't done my research, but I, <laughs> I'm sure if you go back and then look, it's been a while since they've done that. And yeah, look, this SKC team's interesting. They started the year awfully uh, but then they found a bit of form. They got a couple wins, climbed up the table, and then they've kind of just hit a lull lately. They're back down out of a playoff spot in 11th, five wins, six ties, a, a league, or at least a Western Conference leading 10 defeats and the second worst in all of MLS, uh, only after Inter-Miami, Lionel Messi's Inter-Miami, uh, that is. So look, this SKC team, I think what's clear is that they're very inconsistent. I think you can see that with the the losses, um, you know, but they're also a team that can frustrate. They've also done well against top teams. They've beaten LAFC, they've beaten Seattle. But then as we saw last week, they lost to Chicago at home. Um, you know, they lost to LAFC at home recently, which again, it's uh, you'd, you'd expect SKC to be good at home. That's one thing they're, they're always consistent with. So it, it's a bit of a, a, an SKC team that you really don't know what to get. Because again, I'm looking back at past results here too. I see... Um, wins over Minnesota, 4-1 win over Portland, 4-1 win over Austin. So when they catch fire, they can beat you thoroughly. But then there's other games where you're looking at, again, like you're losing the Chicago 1-0 at home. That's not really the sort of result a playoff team can uh, can afford to have. Yeah, uh, Sporting KC is an interesting one to figure out. Um, as you mentioned, you know, winless in their first 10 to start the season, that's that's never ideal, but they did go on a nice little hot streak when Alan Polito came back into the fold. And to me, it's like, that's kind of seems like the big thing. If Alan Polito scores, this team has a pretty good, I'd like to see like some advanced metrics, you know, when Alan Polito scores, the win probability is probably like 75, 80%. When Alan Polito doesn't score, win probability is like 15, 10%. That, that's kind of what it's felt like this season. Um, and yeah, they're really reliant on Saloy, Polito. As you mentioned, like when they score, they tend to score in bunches. But then I also look at um, the other side of the pitch and they have the second worst defensive record in the West. And they only have four clean sheets. Three of those four clean sheets coming in nil-nil draws. So they've only had one clean sheet where they've actually scored a goal. Like, that's just not a consistent formula. That's not a way you, you know, how do you win matches at home? You keep clean sheets and you score a goal or two, right? Like you get those one nil, two nil home wins and they just they haven't been able to find those kinds of results. I, I think, you know, their numbers offensively are actually not terrible considering how bad the start to the year was. I think if you, you just kind of take the second half of the, the matches they played so far, they have a pretty good offensive record. So uh, the goals are certainly there, but I think they struggle to defend consistently and they struggle to pair the goal scoring with good defensive performances. So ultimately this is just a team that's hard to have a lot of confidence in. And yet at the same time, if everything clicks like this could be, 
a Saturday in Kansas City where, uh, you know, old school SKC shows up and they're ready for it and they really take it to the Whitecaps. Or this could be a, a massive opportunity for Vancouver to secure all three points because if SKC is a bit of a liability at the back, they're, they're disorganized, they're, their goalkeeping situation has been bad because Tim Melia has been injured for most of the season. So they've, they've had no consistency there whatsoever. It's been, uh, what's his name? I think it's Kendall, Kendall McIntosh or John Pulsecamp. Right. One of the, one of those two uh, Pulsecamp's been fine whenever he's played, but McIntosh has been quite poor. Um, so they just don't have that consistency. So, you know, one that Vancouver has to approach cautiously because Polito could really punish you on the right day, but uh, there, there's opportunity there to be had as well. Yeah, I think they're just an, an inconsistent MLS team. I think they're kind of a, a very a good example of what a flawed MLS team looks like because, look, their underlying numbers aren't great either. They're eighth last in xg4 with 1.08 so they don't really generate a whole lot across the board again i will just say you look at their first 10 games and like they couldn't score at all so i think that that has skewed just a little bit because they have had as you mentioned some big offensive performances since then well, just out of curiosity, I'll I'll refresh the results since May first, so that gets the few first few months out of the way. And even then, they're 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 better. They're up to one. They're about mid middle of the pack, about twelfth, thirteenth best in MLS. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're world beaters, but it's not it's not as mediocre or poor since then as as if you just look at all the like overall full season numbers, you're like, ooh, this is terrible. But those those <laughs> it is rough. You, I mean, literally, I can't, I can't under, or I can't overstate. Like in those first ten where they were winless, they only had one draw. The rest were full-blooded losses. Like that's nine losses and one draw in your first ten. It really can't go much worse than that. Yeah, it was very feast or famine, and I think that it, it's still kind of materialized. Really, it feels like a few games are kind of almost boosting those numbers and we kind of saw it firsthand when skc came to town like they weren't anything spectacular it's just kind of and that's kind of what this team's kind of been about it's like sorry i'll I'll fat i'll fact check myself i had it misordered they had three draws in their first 10 not one i had it i had it organized i think by goals for or something like that instead so i'll just quickly fact check myself there three draws in their first 10 was still still very still bad not great <laughs> Still very poor, <laughs> but yes, it's, it's again, it's a team where even at their best now as they've kind of found their feet, obviously still missing some huge contributors due to, to injury. It's not uh, helped, but they've been, they've been a team that again, it's kind of been feast or famine. It's something where they might not generate a lot of chances still within games, but then Alan Polito will have moments, right? Or uh, even defensively though, that's one area where they haven't changed and across the course of the season. It's 1.33 XG against, which is, kind of bottom 10 and then over the since may 1st it's the exact same like really all that's changed over since may 1st is they're just starting to score a little more and generate a little more uh chances and i think that's due to the return of a polito but you look at the injury report yeah no tim milia uh you know logan in in denbe uh cam duke willie agada willie agada is a big one because he was immense for them in the second half of last season had graham zussi that's always someone where he's a bit, you know, he always brings a bit of consistency. They're missing some of those 
players uh it feels like especially in midfield where they felt a bit unstable and that would help them defensively because yeah it's a team that can score i think again johnny russell well we haven't seen the best version of him this year you mentioned Polito. i mean saloy daniel saloy we've seen in the past what he can do it feels like he's had a bit of a colder year those guys can take over games gaddy kind is getting back to full fitness he's also another game breaker Kyrie shelton it's just, can their midfield hold up so that they can generate more chances and be a little tighter defensively? Because if not, it's going to be these boomer bust games where one week it'll be 3-0 because your game breakers kind of take over, and the other week it'll be you'll you'll lose 1-0 just because there's not much going on. And I think we've kind of seen that materialize over the last few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. So what I was going to do is a little little exercise here. My digging, our, our former SB Nation friends who are now at the uh, – Kansas City Soccer Journal, they run a weekly poll where uh, their readers vote on who they're expecting to start for SKC. So I thought we could we could run through this. So I'll outline by saying SKC most of the time this season has operated in a 4-3-3. So I think that's that's pretty much the shape they're going to go with and uh, and what we can expect in this one. So starting at the back, now, I don't know if this is just uh, a dislike for McIntosh. Certainly, Kendall McIntosh has started far more this season than John Postcamp. But Postcamp right now getting 57% of the vote to be the starter against Vancouver. McIntosh is 42% in goal. Then you look at the back four. Um, Fontas has been a consistent center back there for a couple, number of years. He's getting 77.5% of the bull vote tim leobold a, a german fullback getting 82.5 percent of the vote so he's a mainstay danny rosario as well 95 percent of the vote and then jake davis 90 percent of the vote so that's the the expected back four for skc moving up through the midfield trying to find three midfielders uh remy walter nemanja radoha um and Eric Tommy, uh, Tommy's been one of the, the most consistent starters for SKC this season. Remy Walter as well. And uh, I believe Rodeau is a, a new player to, to SKC this season. Um, so, so less of a book on him historically with the, with the Whitecaps, but I think he's been a relatively good impact player there. And I mean, I think the only... The only indication of that you really need is that uh, he's the the top vote getter in terms of midfield starters for SKC. And then, I mean, the front three is probably the, the easiest one to predict at the moment, especially given some injuries too. Um, but it's Daniel Saloy, Johnny Russell as as wide players, and Alan Polito earning 97.5% of the vote at striker. And, and yeah, Russell was 75%. With um, Marino Sonas getting twenty two point five percent of the vote, and then Soy uh, at ninety five as well. So um, really, not a lot of not a lot of intrigue overall. I mean, the the guy coming back from injury and in Gadi Kinda did get fifty seven point five percent of the vote in midfield. So uh, that's maybe one spot where SKC supporters a bit divided on who might get the start in the midfield based on fitness, based on training, stuff like that. But I think at the back and up front, there's a, a good amount of predictability. And, you know, I'm not deeply embedded in the SKC goalkeeping controversy, but it seems like there's some disagreement there. So, 
Yeah, the goalkeeper one's fascinating. McIntosh, he just, he, he, you know, he seems to be decent enough, but just kind of lacks explosiveness, kind of lacks. It's, like, Co- it's Cody Cropper esque, to be honest. Yeah. And then, like, that's it. He just, he kind of lacks some of that, that X factor. And then Pulse Camp, I don't know. I, I haven't seen much of him either, but he also, like, there just hasn't, like, there's not much standout quality there. At least usually the goalkeeper, you see a height or you see explosiveness, reflexes. To be fair, McIntosh did make some good reflex saves against Whitecaps, so maybe that. But again, there's just not like attributes where you're looking like, oh, there's something where this player can can dominate. So that's a fascinating uh, one. And then across the board, uh, especially that midfield is looking a bit uh, dicey, really, for for SKC. And also, I must say, like this exercise, I'd be very curious if we did a poll of Whitecaps fans, what would they be see as their best eleven? Right now, right? Like, I think it'd be pretty easy to write in Penn, Gold, Vite, Gressel, White, Kubas, but, but like, but, you know, Takaoka, but like, what's the back four look like? You know, Ali Ahmed versus Shop. What is the voting split there? I'd, I'd have a feeling Ahmed would take it, but like, would the voting split be close? Would the voting split be wide? I don't know. Maybe that'll be something we have to do just out of pure curiosity. I was going to say, maybe maybe we have to do one of these Google Forms before, Not you know, we don't have enough time now before SKC, but before the next match, it would be very interesting to see um, where the vote is split or like how many votes does Simon Betcher would get for starts at striker? Oh, because, you know, you, you often I feel like there's a vocal minority who's very strong and like Simon Betcher should get more starts. But I wonder numerically how many people of the total voting population would actually substantiate that with a vote. So uh, I think this is something we're going to have to do because it's a it's an interesting exercise. Then boom, you compare uh, you compare that to their best eleven based on a you know a computer like goals added or something like that, and there you go, you have a fun article idea right there. So who knows? Maybe we'll we'll look to bring that to to life. Uh, but yeah, it's just fascinating to see, uh, of course, where the SKC readers and followers of the team kind of view the side based on what we've seen. Um, it does kind of add up that again, it's a good team up front. It's just midfield questions, even at the back, right? Like it just, it feels like they're kind of lacking, like, uh, the, the presence that there, w- there was there before, of course, Fontes is there, but it feels like ever since Ico Parra's left a few years ago, they've kind of been scrambling to find a replacement. I mean, Robert Castellanos is solid, the former national defender, uh, you know, and he's still young. So potentially he could grow into that role. But again, it feels like they've always been kind of recovering from those days and again i feel like it's telling in midfield as well that you look on the bench that roger espinoza is still kicking around as one of the main options at 36 again always a fine player but kind of gives you an idea of what the depth's looking like felipe hernandez uh you know as well someone where we haven't maybe seen as as much i will just say to kind of substantiate what you're going through right now the one thing that really stood out to me is i look at i look at starts this season and Saloy has started 21 matches. Tommy started 20. Remy Walter started 19. And no one else has started more than 15. And there's a lot of players with 7, 10, 8 starts. So there's a lot of rotation inconsistency. Some of that's been bad injury luck. But some of that's also been just, I think, a general dissatisfaction with like being able to find the right starting 11, especially defensively and in the midfield so that that goes to support your point that you just you look at who's coming off the bench you look at who's getting starts and you're kind of like 
oh, well, I could, I could mm. talk, I could talk myself into all these players, but I could also talk myself out of all these players. It's just, it's not quite where it needs to be. I think in terms of like an overall depth standpoint, SKC does feel like a team where maybe they haven't, you know, we've talked about this with the Whitecaps before, and it feels like they've done a better job now, but you have to evolve with the league, right? Like if you stand still, other teams pass you. And it does feel a little bit like this sporting KC team has not taken the next necessary steps to really keep pace with, with some of the teams in the West. And look, I think if you want to do well, you need some consistency at the back and in midfield, right? Like you need a regular, at least one regular six and center back to kind of be a rock, a goalkeeper. And the fact they've kind of had instability at all those key positions kind of helps explain some of the defensive struggles. But on that note, I don't have much more to say about SKC other than what we saw a few weeks ago. So do we want to maybe look at a Whitecaps lineup or do you have one more point on uh, SKC? No, exactly. I mean, I was just going to empty the notebook in terms of Vancouver Whitecaps notes. Sounds like today at training, which is Thursday, Tristan Blackman um, and Russell Tybert are still doing recovery-based work. So I wouldn't anticipate either of those guys um, to have a starting role in, in Sporting KC. So yeah, we can we can dive into a lineup, but just wanted to provide a bit of a health and injury update there. Yeah, so that's, of course, alongside Ahmed, which is going nowhere because he and Canada played pretty much the same time on Saturday against Guatemala. Um, so make sure you get your double screens out for that if you want to catch... Ahmed and the rest of Canada in action. I'd have to imagine Ahmed probably starts that game again. So that'll be fun to see how a Whitecaps player, a young Whitecaps player gets on for Canada. Just because I'm, I'm saying this because it's something that we haven't seen a whole lot of as of late, right? Like Cavallini was more of a, always a vet. Um, Cornelius was there for a bit, but, you know, kind of faded out. Crepeau, right? It's been a while since there's a young Canadian player on the Whitecaps playing for Canada. So just shout out to that. Of course, Javane Brown as well continues to be international duty with Jamaica and looks like they'll advance through the group. So uh, well, he'll be there for a little while more and ditto with Julian Gressel. Um, so that that takes away five key uh, regulars. Uh, I guess four because Russell Tybert has kind of been more of a rotation piece for Vanny Sartina to look at. I mean, before we dive in, shout out has to be given to to now multi what is it multi-label platinum rock star Benny Sartini who's out here doing concerts at a Rogers Arena obviously he was a bit of a guest uh he won that competition to go sing Nickelback so just wanted to shout out to rock star uh Vanny Sartini let's just hope uh he uses what he saw from that that LAFC lineup and he doesn't you know burn it all to the ground uh you know and just and and then uh and and goes about the the approach in a similar fashion for this SKC game. Maybe maybe he'll have a lineup in the back of his head like a photograph. Ah, oh, fantastic! A, a true a true professional and broadcaster. Um, I'm just diving in here to what I think my expected lineup's going to be for SKC. And, and so I kind of mentioned this off the top when previewing. I do expect the approach to be different, like in terms of their mentality and their aggressiveness. Vanny Sartini mentioned that, you know, temperatures right now in, in Kansas City looking pretty ugly. We're talking like 36, 37, 38 degrees. You know, in the Midwest, it gets it gets sticky, it gets humid, it gets uncomfortable. So they're not going to be able to employ that high pressing, 
um, high intensity, you know, balls to the wall strategy that they did down in down in L.A. Uh, and I think they're being realistic about that. But that being said, I would expect the lineup to remain somewhat the same in part because they don't have a ton of other options. Right. So, I mean, I'm going to go. I think I'm just writing it down here as I go. I do wonder if Sebastian Halter gets a start. I feel like SKC mm. away that just kind of has Seb Berhalter written all over it. I, I don't know exactly why. But yeah, I think I'm basically, other than that, going to run it back. So you go Yoi Takaoka and goal. Luis Martins, Ranko Veselinovic, Matias Laborda in a back three of some sorts. Raposo gets another start. And I'm going to say that we see Berhalter and Kubas and then Gauld on the opposite flank in a, in a midfield four. Oh, I'm messing this up already. It would be a midfield five. So, so then you have shot from there as well, right? Basically you could run, you could run like a, a three, two, three, two almost. <laughs> okay. okay. Right. So <laughs> I, I, this is fully me making it up on the go, but yeah, I'd be interested. I mean, it could almost be like a back five where Laborda and Martins get get wider. Burhalter and Kubas sit sort of staggered. And then you've got Golden Raposo in wide areas. And then you've got Cordova and White up front with Shop just kind of roaming the center. And I feel like, I don't know, I feel like Pedro Vite might get a break because he's been playing a lot recently. I'm hoping I've even named 11 players because this is very much me coming up with this on the fly. But I'm trying to find a way to get Seb Berhalter in because I just feel like I feel like he's due for a start. I feel like Pedro Vite might be due a break. I think we maybe see Cordova and White again. And and I can't see them making a change to that back three either because one, they just don't have the options. And two, uh, they did have some success against L.A. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point, but I mean, at the same time, they're fresh off an international break, and and they they've had play, a, they and they've had a full week, and they play Saturday, Saturday, so there's no midweek to worry about. They're obviously at home against Seattle uh, the week after, so I, I, I really my my question is more like tactical because I think, look, I think one thing we uh we know for sure is that we'll see about I think the same same at the back because there's just no choice, so I think we'll see. Uh, Martins, uh, Ranko Veselinovic, uh, why was my mind blanking? Matias Laborda, and I think Reiner Poso stays in at fullback. I do think it might be more of a four, though. I think just because against LAFC, kind of wanted to gum up the wide areas a bit more and take advantage of how aggressive their fullbacks are. Or I think against SKC, if you jam up the middle, you can have more of an impact based on the struggles they've seen. So I think it would be a four of those. And then I think it'll be a four, three, two, one. But where I'm a bit, you know, not torn, as I think in that three, it'll be Kubas and Berhalter to jam up that middle. But I'm like, Will Schopf be the third midfielder? I could see that. And then I would see Gold Vite White as the three. And you give Cordova off the bench just because, again, the LAFC game made a lot more sense. It was more of a track meet. It was more of an open game. And we've kind of said Cordova thrives in that, whereas SKC could get a little jammier in midfield. SKC, also, we could see them sit back a little more, right? Like, I'm looking here. SKC and, does hold on to And Vite would, like, I feel like, against a... 
a team that sits back. He he kind of has the movement, the intelligence to create space to expose weakness in a way that Cordova, if it's not a wide open track meet, would would struggle with a little bit more probably. So I think that's a good point. And it's like, look, SKC holds actually on average more of the ball for the Whitecaps. So that's not saying they can't hold on the ball, but it is something where if you're the Whitecaps, you hold on the ball well too. control that midfield and try to take over that game. And I think that would require more of a shop gold Vite versus a, a Cordova and white up front. And I think it's something where if you're not satisfied, you can always throw in Cordova as kind of a destabilizer in the second half. So I don't know. I see a bit more middle heavy in this game. Um, but but I guess we'll see. I don't, I just don't see it as a track me, especially because SKC doesn't really have guys for that sort of uh, game as well, right? Like Polito's not a tr- guy's going to be running vertically. Saloy loves to cut inside. Russell as well. So it's kind of going to be a game where both teams are going to want to hold on to the ball, and it's going to be more of a chess match of who can find those those quantitative advantages. And I think a five player midfield between the three and two of Kubas, Schopf, Gold, Vite, Berhalter gives you that. And the Whitecaps could be prudent to, to, to do that. Yeah. I think the one thing we're definitely in agreement is this absolutely calls for that Berhalter Kubas mm-hmm. partnership in the midfield. That just, it oh, feels, absolutely. it feels like this match has that written all over it. It's a question more of how do they try to unlock SKC defensively? And that's, that's something, honestly, that I haven't watched enough of SKC this season in depth in their defensive structure to really give you the best way to break that down. We can we can theorize about what would work, but uh, Cordova is such a funny one, again, because he's the bigger profile. He looks like he should be a target man striker, and yet it's more of like a, a mobile transition player. So... It always makes for a bit of like a curious tactical fit. Any chance Simon Betcher gets a start up front? We might we mentioned him a little bit earlier on the show. Yeah, he could because I think I'm looking at it now as well out of curiosity. Like, what did the Whitecaps do against SKC last time? They ended up going with the more it was Cordova and White up front, so they went for that. Um, but Cordova but they, they got also only scored off. one. They also only scored one goal at home. Yeah, and Cordova struggled. Now he that was one of his. It was one of the games where he struggled. So that's why I wonder: can will 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 we see Cordova in that sort of role? I I doubt it. And I think interestingly uh, as well that the Whitecaps subbed in Shopf in that game uh, for for Laborda and went really more midfield heavy. So I think they kind of realized that maybe midfield heavy is the way to go. They ended up outpossessing SKC. They had a very good end to the game, just couldn't score their. Uh, chances so I think it's something where if they learn from those those mistakes we definitely see midfield heavy and maybe if they want to name up front a guy like Betcher could be a way to kind of destabilize again I just this this sort of game does not really scream Cordova but look for all I know he's he goes out and proves us wrong but that's just gut feeling well regardless of what the lineup ends up being those are some some good talking points and I think outlines the multiple ways Vancouver could potentially try to attack this so um, that was a lot of Vancouver Whitecaps talk, a lot of a lot of positive Vancouver Whitecaps talk. But let's finish off the show with a little bit of Canadian Premier League. But you know what? I'm I'm forgetting one thing. Uh, we haven't been doing podcast podcast quite as regularly, so we've been missing out on this a little bit. But uh, let's do a score prediction for this one too. Uh, I'm going to be super super boring. I'm going to go one one draw on the road. I just feel like this has tense you know, nervy affair written all over it. I, I think that maybe this is a bit of a come down from the from the LAFC match and that, you know, 
Alan Polito manages to find a goal and, and Vancouver's not going to be held off the score sheet against this SKC defense. But at the same time, I don't know if there's a, a huge result in this for either side. Yeah, I'm kind of torn because I'm like, I'd agree with you. Like the come down could be real for the Whitecaps, but also like. Why couldn't they, they continue the run? Yeah. Why couldn't they They continue? just needed to win on their own, get some momentum, right? And like SKC lost to the fire at home last week. So it's like, like I don't know. It's something with MLS. You don't want to look too much in a trend. So you could, I could tell you one nil loss, one nil win. I'd feel confident in either of those. Um, or the draw. That's why the draw is such a, a good shout. But I'll be fun. I'll go. I'll go a two-one win. I think it's something where look, this Whitecaps team is good enough that once they kind of get rolling on things, they tend to to find a bit of momentum. And it feels like now, especially what's helped them is they've always seemed to do their best when their schedule isn't congested. Like it feels like a lot of these runs of games where they've had midweek games has kind of hurt them. So the fact they had a full week off, we got a chance to really just focus on that road game again, SKC. I'll go two on win. I like it. I mean, that's the that's the result that I I'm hoping is gonna happen. And I, I certainly think the white caps are capable of. I just, you know, um I'm I, I need to see as much as the win against LAFC was fantastic. I just I want some road momentum back. I need to still need to really believe it because it's still one year where they only have one road win. So, you know, we'll, we'll take it one step at a time, but I do, I do think things are moving in the right direction. All right. Well, well, speaking of things moving in the right direction, since we were last on the show, big shout out to Vancouver FC taking their first home win in the Canadian premier league against forge. Forge has been struggling a little bit recently, which I think is interesting and, and good for the league overall. And it was an absolute youth movement for Vancouver. They've, they've really, a part of it because of injury and just the way the season's played out, but part of it because they've had some players emerge. They've, they've gone as young as possible pretty much, which has been kind of cool to see. Um, yeah, your thoughts on, on what Vancouver FC has been up to the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's been fascinating to see. Like, play the kids, right? And that Forge one was fascinating because it was five U21 Canadian starters, which has to be a record. I don't think it's been confirmed. Like, the only team I could ever think coming close is Pacific or York on the past. And then seven U21 Canadians saw the field. Uh, so thanks to that, Vancouver quickly vaulted up the table and has now cleared their 2,000 U21 minutes uh, for the year. So that's huge. And just they're overall a young team. And I think what's been fascinating is that they've been going younger and younger as of late, yet it feels like their performances have been getting better and better. And it feels like, okay, look, maybe there's some some kids here worth looking at and building around because, for example, defensively, there's some struggles. And a guy like Anthony White, their first-round pick, slots in, and he's he's showed great confidence and great poise on the ball, most importantly, something they've lacked at times. And you wonder, okay, a partnership of him and Rocco Romeo, that could be a good little outfit um, you look also at fullback Tyler Crawford and James Cameron have stepped up and give a bit of stability. And the, the the Cameron ones, you know, in particular is kind of big because you've seen Min Jae Kwok play there. He's more of a winger. Obviously, if Caden Chung, when he's back, if they want to see him as more of a midfielder, having a right back who can step up is is immense. And then you look across the board as well. TJ Dahid, two goals for the, the 16-year-old. He looks like he absolutely belongs at this level. So you want to see more of that from him. And then also the the U21 minutes helped them in other ways because Mile Henri has some great games. And you're, I, I, that one I was a bit, uh, I'm laughing at because he's the guy I picked heading into this year as my U21 player to watch because he has immense potential. 
and I was just a bit disappointed if he hadn't played more for Vancouver. He plays a little, and then because of his performances, his potential, Cavalry needs you 21 minutes, they make a trade. Mile Henri goes to Cavalry. They get Mikhail Cantave, which that is a very good pickup from Vancouver. I've watched a lot of Cantave with Cavalry, and he's – you know, he's just an exciting midfielder, wide player who runs at guys. He has a great right foot, but he's also creative, can play those line splitting passes. And, we, you know, Vancouver's needed more of that. And all of a sudden you imagine, okay, guys like uh, Kantave playing with Gael Sandoval, Gabriel Bittar, Teach Head to Heed, Sean Hondel. There's guys who should be able to create and score and something that's been lacking. They just really need to get some some more midfield balance. So uh, the U21 minutes are helping them in terms of on the field and their performances. And the fact they're able to get a player of like Cantave out of, uh, you know, for Henri, it's, uh, those are some good moves there from Vancouver. And uh, hopefully they can keep building on this with the kids because they're only going to get better, right? They're only going to get more experience. They're only going to shed some of these inexperienced moments. And some of these veteran guys they signed were struggling. So if the kids are doing better, then lean into it. Yeah, absolutely. And then sliding over the island, I mean, after the, the massive 6-3 win over Vancouver FC, Pacific has now racked up three straight one nil wins. Uh, one of those occurring over Forge as well. So uh, the BC team's getting the better of Forge recently, but then also over York United and Valor. And so that's four straight undefeated in five since losing to the Vancouver Whitecaps in the Canadian Championship and uh, Pacific sitting atop the CPL table. I mean, my question for you, Alex, I guess is like, Pacifics look so comfortable this season overall. Like, is this just what we should expect the rest of the season? Or are there are there any chinks in the armor? What what could what if anything could go wrong? Or is or is Pacific just destined to to steamroll the rest of the season? I think they'll they'll get their two biggest tasks. I think they answered two of their questions, which was who who's gonna score the goals, and the answer is all of them. And that's good, right? That's worked for Pacific because for Forge, the same question's been asked: Who's going to score the goals? And it's kind of been no one. Like it's uh, they're struggling with depth scoring. So for Pacific, they scoring by form- committee only works if everyone scores. Yeah, and it's working for Pacific because they genuinely have the talent too. So okay, they've got that box ticked, and it was who's going to be in goal. And for now, it looks like it's going to be Kieran Basket, although. We might see a bit more of Emil Gazdov just because Pacific will need you 21 minutes. Uh, but for the most part, it's been basket. Okay, that's two answers, uh, two questions answered. What they've showed is they can win in different ways. Can they go out to Vancouver and get into a 6-3 slugfest, go to Ottawa, get into a 4-1 slugfest, York a 4-1? Yeah, but also they've shown they can win 1-0 games. I think they've also shown they have the depth for injuries. Like this is a midfield, for example, if there's any injuries in midfield, Pierre Lamoth is just sitting there waiting for an opportunity. There's a few more guys who could step up, ditto at the back, up front. Really the big tests they're about to, to get is can they win on the road and can they win with a bit more of a congested schedule? Because they've only played 11 games this year. I think eight of them have been at home. Yes, they've actually been very good on the road because I think they have, I want to say off the top of my head, two road wins and one road draw. I would have to be uh, double-checked on that one, but they've actually been good on the road. But now they're about to get an extended run of, of road games, uh, and that will be uh, immense to 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 see if they can build off that and, 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 and you know, continue that consistency away from home. But other than that, like, they're, they're so solid across the board. They've got the top-end talent. They've got the depth. It feels like this Pacific team, like, it feels like it's 
top two or bust. And if they can win that top two game, host a final, like what a what a moment that would be. And there's they're certainly trending on the right direction, up five points with two games in hand on second place. Yeah, what I think is very interesting looking at the CPL league table at the moment is that you can kind of isolate. So you've got Pacific at the top in a class of their own at the moment. And then you've got Vancouver FC, understandably, with some growing pains, some expansion struggles down at the bottom. But you look at two through seven and or maybe two through six, depending on how you view it. But so if you go two through six, those teams in terms of points per match, they're at the bottom Halifax Wanderers, 1.18 points per match to forge at 1.46 points per match. And each of those teams actually all the way down to Atletico Ottawa in seventh. The variation in terms of goal difference is from plus two to minus one. So there's just like the variance between those sides from two through seven really is tiny. Even at this point in the season where you're 11, 12, 13 for some teams matches into the season, we were talking about all the draws and all the parity early on. But for the most part, that really hasn't gone away other than Pacific that's really separated themselves. Vancouver and Athletic Ottawa just sitting, lurking a little bit further down. Um, but other than that, it is uh, the margins are small. Uh, you also don't really have anyone like running away with the golden boot. You got Meyer Bevan with six, Sean Hondal with five, but a lot of other teams leading scores, four, three goals scored. So uh, it's not just Pacific. It's it's around the league. Lots of players capable of scoring, but no one really dominating. Um, I think especially as we get like closer to playoff places and and crunch time of the CPL season, that's going to be really interesting because things are still going to be congested. Like we're not going to teams will separate to some degree, but there's going to be a lot of a lot of fighting and scrapping for for spots as the season goes on. And I think that's fantastic. You know, it, it creates some intrigue. And uh, and yeah, I, I think it's been it's been exciting so far. And I'm just looking forward to, to tuning into more as the, the season goes on. And, you know, hopefully hopefully Vancouver FC can uh, use their youth charge to uh, to vault their way up the table a little bit, because then that would just just add to the competitiveness and interest um in, in the CPL. So any, any final thoughts for you on, uh, on the Canadian Premier League? Yeah, I think basically all, all I'd say is it's time for some teams to step up. Cause I think, look, Pacific should be again, a threat for top two for that regular season title for that champions cup spot for the potential buy to the final. But after that, it's like, who can step up a, who can step up and join them in that top two. That's going to be a whole other discussion. I think on paper, forge york and cavalry are kind of the three that stand out in that regard but again like also valor halifax ottawa and vancouver all have shouts and it's i think what's going to be key is can they all fix what's kind of ailed them and 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 what can they can they tweak can they grow for forge they have the team okay can they get that consistency can they kind of get all the the player the top players clicking can they get a more depth scoring because they only have four goals from their players not named Wubens, Pasias, Taron Campbell uh, or Jordan Hamilton right they need that depth scoring and then you look at um, York United can they just continue to to to, to get these uh, you know to stabilize defensively because obviously they've had injuries can they continue to get 
um, more depth scoring. Can they get Azaze Di Rosario, Brian Wright firing, mobile bullies heating up? Then for Cavalry, it's just, okay, can Ali Moosey keep being Ali Moosey? And then can they stop allowing cheap goals? For Valor, it's okay. Can they get one of their 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 you know attacking pieces to step up? Because defensively, they've been so good. They have arguably the best goalkeeper in the league. Their midfield has been dominant. They're just missing something in the final third. Uh, as for the Wanderers, it's okay. You've got a few wins now. Can you turn your nice footy into just more consistency? Ottawa, you needed a six. You just signed a six. I think that's going to be immense uh, to to them. And and they've actually had one of the best defensive. Uh, statistical numbers this season has been Ottawa. So can they just stop allowing cheap goals that kind of ruin their XG? The goal they allow against Forge this weekend where they pass it into their own net is a prime example of that. And then for Vancouver, yeah, can you just get consistency? And what's great with it being tight is if you can start winning games, you will climb. York was at the bottom of the table after four or five games and they won a bunch, climbed right up into the mix of the, the title race. And uh, that, that's just going to be the big difference. Everyone's drawing. It's very close now. Who can find those qualitative and quantitative examples to to start scoring and start winning games and start moving up the table one thing i just wanted to clean up which i saw i think someone suggested on twitter the other day do you think at the end of this canadian premier league season does one of the three mls teams sign brian yesley because that feels like just a a prime candidate for um, you know, if you we we talk about like the goalkeeping position in MLS, and you know we've seen what Jonathan Sirwa has been able to do in CF Montreal, uh, that just seems like a prime candidate for a for a move to MLS. But maybe he's even increasing his stock where uh, you know he sets his sights further than that. But I'm curious for your thoughts there. I think Rayan Yasli is absolutely one of those guys where. You'd be looking at him, the six foot seven. He's someone uh, we talked about last year on this show, but yeah, six seven, good with his feet. He shows he can make you a big save, or he can have you a game where you'll he makes seven saves. Like he's one of those guys who can be low event or high event, and he's he's fine with either. He's absolutely some, someone that should be uh, should be looked at. Obviously, Valor will hope to keep him through the rest of the season because he's someone where if they can get, sneak in the playoffs, he will win you games on your own, and you can go very far if you have that sort of goalkeeper and yeah there's it's, it's interesting that there's some other players like him as well that you know Sean Young with Pacific continues to be a revelation can Pacific hold on to Eamon Salouf if he keeps playing like this obviously he's an international but I'm sure European teams would love to have him back even an MLS team he'd almost be worth throwing an international spot at based on how good he's been you know you look, you look across the board and there's a, a few more intriguing names like that uh it'll be interesting to see what this mid this mid transfer window does both in terms of acquisitions but also who leaves because we saw that last year pacific lost alejandro diaz and their season completely you know fell apart because of that will that happen to a team like pacific again this year where they're at top of the table they lose a sean young does that hurt them uh you know there's other questions to be had could that happen with rian yesley as well so he's yesley's definitely one of those where teams should be looking at him that's for sure yeah, I just saw that on Twitter and I was like, yeah, that's, you know, that's something that all three Canadian MLS sides should be considering how he might fit into the fold. And and obviously I don't think they'd be the only teams interested. So, uh, you know, that's just something to watch out for looking forward. And, and we'll continue the chat maybe about, we'll have to do a segment at some point down the road where we maybe highlight some CPL players primed for, you know, a, a big move at some point, but any final thoughts here to round out the show? It's It's been a good week. 
uh, for the Vancouver Whitecaps. That's that's been a tumultuous week for Toronto FC, a tumultuous week for Canada soccer, which we're not even going to get into. That's a whole different thing on this show. But uh, it's been interesting times in the game, Premier League, and uh, we're we're very happy to have you listening along, chatting with us about all of these happenings. And uh, yeah, looking forward to doing more of this again soon, Alex. Yeah, absolutely. Again, uh, Whitecaps don't play at home until July 8th, but that's a derby against Seattle. That's always fun. Um, you got for, for Vancouver FC, they play this weekend against York at home. Pacific plays on Friday against Ottawa at home. And so there's a lot of local games. I'm back after a bit of a hiatus out east for that gold cup game and other uh you know personal stuff but i'm back here and there's league one bc this weekend for example saturday not somewhat play white caps and what should be a fascinating game based on the, the first time those teams met and then you got yeah, gold cup continues for the men women's world cup quietly sneaking up on us here uh, lots of us a lot, lots to keep us busy over the next few weeks so we're excited to dive into all that but on that note you can find me on twitter probably tweeting about all those things at alex gange ruzik uh, you of course can find us at the third sub, uh, especially with all these white caps games coming fast and thin. Can't wait. It's going to be a good time and, uh, should, should be, should be a fun few weeks. Absolutely. You can find me as always at Samuel underscore rowboat on Twitter at the third sub.ca. You can find our podcast at third sub pod on Twitter and the third sub, um, in written form at the three RD sub on Twitter. Twitter as well. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll chat again soon.